Okay, so we're going to start with a pop quiz. If you have been in, oh, now I've tangled myself. Oh, boy. It's one of those mornings, y'all. Okay, there we go. Um, pop quiz. If you have been in here with me before, you know that I like to quiz you all periodically. So here we go. We have our lovely, oh man, I gave it away. <laughs> y'all, it. It's on a delay, evidently, so just don't press the button too many times. Okay, can we just rewind everything and start over, and I can be heard, and I know how to press buttons, and we can do this again. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay, well, if anybody was feeling not great this morning, hopefully I just made you feel better. Um, okay, so pop quiz. <laughs> This is our overarching theme statement. We've covered it every week. It's for both Ruth and Esther. So help me fill in the blanks. God is the and of our story, and he defines our and invites us into lives of excellent something sticking. There we go. God's the purposeful author and hero of our story. He defines our identity and invites us into lives of influence. Okay. And we kind of summarized this. We pulled out four main words as our, um, to help us remember the statement that God is the author and the hero. Those are the two things he, about him, what, who he is and what he does. And he defines our identity and invites us into lives of influence. Our identity is who we are. Our influence is what we do. And they all come out of who God is and what he does for us. Um, so last week we had a lovely time chatting in our groups, getting to know each other. Um, so let's think back. Let's reorient ourselves. Where are we in our story? Where are we in our discussion together? Um, Think back to where we left off in the story um, really a couple of weeks ago because we met together last week and then we had Kinsman, or we had Kinsman Redeemer week before that where we pulled out of the story a little bit. So let's think back to where we are and where we left off. Um, Ruth has gleaned in a field that just happens to be Boaz's field. Um, he provided abundantly more than she could have asked or imagined. He provided um, the physical for her physical safety of being in his field as opposed to another field. He provided extra food at mealtime for her. He provided a large portion of grain, larger than she could have expected. Um, and also we see at the end of uh, chapter 2 that he provides the security of continuing to glean in his field. And he encourages her to stay in his field. Naomi encourages her to stay in Boaz's field Um because, and Naomi encourages this, because Boaz is one of their kinsmen redeemers. So let's see, let me do my math. This was three weeks ago that Christine talked a lot to us about this concept of hesed, the concept um, of loyal love. And one of my favorite singer-songwriter authors, Michael Card, puts it, defines hesed as this way, that when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. 
So that's that concept of Hesed that Christine um, talked to us a lot about when we covered the end of chapter two. And then two weeks ago, um, Ashley talked to us about this idea of the kinsman redeemer. We had a great week of homework that really dove in depth into this. And then this week we are um, starting chapter three. And I feel like we're really getting into the um, excitement, the turning point of this story. And we're really seeing how this concept of Hesed and this idea of a kinsman redeemer start to merge. So here's our bottom line for today. Jesus is the hero of our story. And his Hesed leads us to confident submission and courageous action, confident submission, and courageous action. So we're going to start today by, um, actually, let's start by praying, and then we're going to dive into the story, do a quick recap together. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Um, We are grateful, always, always, always grateful that you have given us your word um, and that you have given us community to study your word in together. I pray that... um, that our words today and our thoughts and our focus um, are honoring to you and are of you. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so quick recap of the passage today. Recap of Ruth. We are in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. And as we go through this, I'm going to point out a few things that I found particularly interesting. Um, So diving first into verse 1 through... Four, what are, or I guess that's five, one through four. Tell me, um, more interaction here, more pop quiz. Tell me the things that Naomi tells Ruth to do. What are the things that Naomi tells Ruth to do in these verses here? Put on perfume. Bathe. My bath is always a good thing, yeah. Yeah, so here she's telling Ruth to kind of get ready to go out, right? And to us, that sounds kind of, I mean, not that strange. I mean, we get ready to go out, right? We take a shower, we put on, we do our hair. We, I mean, a lot of us probably did that this morning. Um, some of the commentaries I read actually pointed out that the it's it's not explicit, but some of the language hints that Naomi is encouraging Ruth to take off mourning clothes, to um, take off her outward signs of mourning, and to make herself presentable in a way that would communicate to others that she is available for marriage again. Um, it could also just be that she had been working in the field, and now it's time to take a bath, like could go either way, but it seems to indicate that this might be an encouragement to take herself out of mourning. So she encourages her to get ready to go out. What else? (laughs) Yeah. Go down to the threshing floor. Don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go uncover his feet. That sounds strange. And lie down there and he'll tell you what to do. And Ruth replies that she'll do everything exactly as she says. Um, One of the things I think that's interesting about this section is that Naomi says, 
my daughter, it's time I found you a permanent home so that you'll be provided for. Um, the, the language, one of the, yeah, I think the English Standard Version says a place of rest. And it's interesting to me because this is the same prayer that Naomi had um, at the beginning of the book of Ruth when she's trying to send her daughters away from her on this trip. Um, she says um, that she bless, she's asking the Lord to bless the women with um, permanence, with security of marriage, and with rest um, so that they are provided for. And I think it's very interesting to see here um, that Naomi's wish hasn't changed, and she expresses the same wish in the context of hatching this plan um, for their survival. So um, this is one of a couple places we're going to see in this passage that God puts people in a position to answer their own prayer. Um, so Naomi is in a position here to help Ruth find the answer to the very prayer that Naomi has had for her from the beginning. And time and time again in this story, we see that human decision and human action seem to coincide with and merge with God's plan to bring about salvation and redemption that we know is coming. So whether unconsciously or consciously, Naomi is taking an initiative that will ultimately result in her and Ruth become answering their own prayer from the, that they've had from the beginning. So now we move into verses um, 6 through, oh, I did it again. <laughs> and I thought I waited this time too. All right, now we move into verses 6 through 9, and we get some really strange things, don't we? <laughs> They're strange to us in our context anyways. So we get some really strange things here. Ruth does what Naomi has told her to do. She gets ready. She goes down to the threshing floor at night. She goes down to the threshing floor at night. And she um, kind of stands back and hides in the shadows and waits and watches all the goings on. Um, notes where Boaz lays down to rest at night and then goes and uncovers his feet and lays down next to him. So I, a threshing floor, like, I had this picture in my mind, and I wasn't sure if it was right or not, and it turns out it was terribly wrong. Um, so <laughs> I went and found, what is a threshing? Like, where is this happening? Where is this happening? This is a threshing floor. This is a picture of a threshing floor. And actually, this is a modern threshing floor in Greece. Um, but it's really not that much. Not much has changed in thousands of years. There are lots of ruins of ancient threshing floors that look pretty much exactly like this. So where Ruth is, they are away from town. Um, they are out somewhere where they could have taken, um, taken advantage of the prevailing evening winds because what they are doing is they are tossing their grain in the air and the wind is taking away the light stuff that they don't need, which is all of that, all there around the rim outside that little low, low stone edge. Um, leaving some of the heavier straw, which they would have gathered up and used maybe to field animals or all kinds of things. And then that tiny, you can kind of see the stick laying across it, that little pile there would have been the um, heads of grain that they would have used then to turn into food. Um, so Boaz is spending the night out here. There's 
I mean, maybe he's spending the night out there because he's just going to get up and work in the morning. Maybe he's spending the night out there to protect his grain from someone stealing it. There's many reasons why he could have been spending the night out there. It probably was not a terribly uncommon thing to do. Um, so Ruth shows up. He's sleeping for the night. Ruth shows up, uncovers his feet, and around midnight, Boaz suddenly wakes up and turns over. I don't know if you're if you're a mother. Um, you've probably been awakened at 2 o'clock in the morning by your child standing right next to you. Because he's, it says at midnight he wakes up and rolls over. Like, it doesn't indicate what wakes Boaz up. Like, maybe it's because he suddenly realizes he's cold because the blankets have fallen off. Maybe, I mean, there's many reasons. I like to think that he sent somebody there and was like, what is happening? Because, again, if you have a child who has wandered into your room at 2 o'clock in the morning and is standing next to your bed waiting for you to wake up, you sense them and you wake up. And what do you ask first? Yeah. Who is here? I mean, I have a couple of kids, so it could be any of them. So no, number one, it's who is who are you? Which child are you? And what do you want? And that's essentially what Boaz does, right? He says, who are you? And Ruth replies, I'm your servant. And this is another thing um, that I think is very interesting here. She says, I'm your servant, Ruth. So this is a transformation. Most of Ruth, we've been seeing Ruth um, defined by her foreignness, defined as Ruth the Moabite. Um, here, Ruth is Ruth the servant. So we're starting to see a shift in Ruth's identity here. And she tells him to spread the corner of your covering over me. Strange language to us. What she is doing is she is proposing marriage. This is a cultural thing. She is asking Boaz to marry her, um, and she, specific, she says, why? For you are my family redeemer. So she's asking Boaz to marry her and redeem her and Naomi in, these, in this language. And again, this is an interesting place where we see that someone is presented with the opportunity to be the answer to their own prayer. If you look all the way back in chapter 2, Boaz um, says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So this language that Ruth is using when she's asking him to cover her with the edge of her garment is the same verbiage that um, Boaz was, used, was using when he was telling her um, that she had come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. And this is an opportunity for Boaz to answer his own um, request to God to, to um, reward Ruth. He can be her redeemer. He can be the one who metaphorically covers Ruth and Naomi and redeems her and fully rewards her for the work that she has done to take care of her mother-in-law. And this is, um, and then so Boaz goes on in response, says, Lord, bless you, my daughter. You're showing even more family loyalty. And this is another use of the word hesed. Um, it's used to describe Ruth's action in approaching Boaz for marriage. And it's a continuation of the same loyal love that she showed Naomi when she committed to come back and help. Um, and then another example when she went out to help glean and try and take care of Naomi. 
Um, and then in verse 11, Ruth Boaz says, don't worry about a thing. I'll do what's necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Ruth is referred to a referred to as a virtuous woman, which mirrors the description of Boaz in chapter 2 as, in the English Standard Version, um, a worthy man. So um, Robert Hubbard, who is a, um, who is a theologian, says that this suggests that Ruth's exemplary conduct has earned uh, her status as Boaz's peer. They are being talked of as having the same kind of character. So again, start. we're seeing shift in, I, in Ruth's identity here. But, plot twist, um, Boaz says that there's someone who's a little bit closer than me, so um, we need to check in with him first. And I think it's, I think, did Naomi and Ruth know that they had a closer kinsman redeemer? Maybe. We're, we don't really know. And we also aren't really told why, um, if that was the case, they chose to approach Boaz of all people. But regardless, Boaz continues his honor and his integrity, and he tends to redeem her the right way. So he tells her to, tells her to spend the night with him. Um, Sounds strange, right? That sounds like some very suggestive language. And in fact, this whole section is filled with very suggestive language. Most commentaries that I have read um, seem to think that this is a narrative technique, that they are building suspense, they are getting people intrigued in the story, like what's going to happen, will they, won't they kind of situation. But there's nothing in the entirety of the book that indicates that anything um, untoward happened. If we look at the character that's being reflected of Ruth and Boaz, if we consider their integrity and how much it's been celebrated, it's highly unlikely that anything is happening here other than a proposal of marriage in a what to us seems like a very strange way. So he tells her to spend the night there. Um, the reality is he's probably offering her protection just as he did whenever he told her to stay in his field. If you think about it, the threshing floor is away from town. It's the middle of the night. It's the harvest season. People have feasted and celebrated. And what do you want about there are some drunk young men running around? Um, who And she's a foreigner still, even though we're getting the language of someone who is, um, have, who is whose identity is shifting, she's still a foreigner. And so he is telling her, don't go out into a dangerous situation. Stay here. He's offering her some protection. And his integrity is allowing her to sleep in peace and safety. And again, another interesting thing to me is that Naomi is wanting rest and safety and security for her daughter-in-law. And here we see that Boaz is offering her a literal opportunity to lay down and sleep in peace and safety. Um, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful bracket here of our section. Um, so when we read these Old Testament historical narratives with some really strange language, some really strange customs, it can be hard to put ourselves in these people's shoes. It can be hard for us to imagine ourselves in these stories um, to see how they might apply to us. But when we think back to our week on the Kidsman Redeemer and remember that Boaz is pointing us forward to the ultimate and final Redeemer, Jesus, 
then I think the doors to application are open wide to us. And so a couple of things that we can pull out um, here. Let's refresh our memory first that Jesus is the, oh, I waited, yes. <laughs> Jesus is the hero of our story. So we, when we look at this story, um, we, we certainly aren't Boaz. We, I think we kind of know that. I think sometimes we can be tempted to um, put ourselves in Ruth's shoes. And there are ways that we can put ourselves in Ruth's shoes. But I think the reality is that we're Naomi in this story. Um, we are completely destitute. There is nothing that we can do on our own um, to save ourselves. And Jesus alone can redeem us out of our bankruptcy, and he alone can contend for us. And I love this word contend. It means um, to strive in order to win something. So Jesus alone can stand up to the enormous debt of our sin and win us back from it. So our only hope is to lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus and beg him for rescue. Why, I wonder, did Naomi feel like she could send Ruth to Boaz? Why did Ruth feel like she could follow her mother-in-law's instructions? Sure, this was a risky proposition, but I think that Ruth um, approached Boaz pretty confidently and proposed marriage because of the loyal kindness, the hesed, that Boaz had already showed to her. He had already given Ruth and Naomi so much more than they could have asked for. And I think we can consider the same thing. We can submit ourselves to Jesus with the same confidence, um, the confidence that he will come to our aid because of the loving kindness, the loyal love that Jesus has already shown us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were foreigners, while we were outsiders, um, he moved towards us in abundant loving kindness long before we ever took our first steps towards him. Um, Michael Card again puts it this way. We have no right to expect anything from him, the Holy One, and yet he has extended himself to us. He has invited us to enter his world and made our story a part of his story. So our closest relation, Hebrews 14, 4, 16, tells us that he came in our likeness and suffered our temptations um, so that we can confidently approach the throne of grace to find mercy in our time of need. So what does that look like? What does it practically look like to submit ourselves confidently to Jesus? I think it requires a lot of humility, and we see a lot of that in Ruth. Um, it requires that we surrender. If you've been here on Sunday mornings walking through our Romans series, it requires that we are surrendering our self-centeredness, um, the I don't need God. Um, it requires that we surrender our self-righteousness, that I can do it on my own, that I can earn my own way. And when we confidently, confidently surrender to Jesus, in doing so, we will find the rest that we seek. Psalm 91.4 echoes the same language of covering over with the wings and with the garment when the psalmist says, um, speaking of God, that he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So when we surrender to Jesus, when we submit our lives to him, 
we are invited into a story that's bigger than our own. We're invited to join him in his kingdom work. We are invited to contend for others and to become agents of his hesed in this world. We are invited to courageous action. So let's take a minute and look real quick at where we see people courageously contending for others as agents of the Lord's loving kindness. We see it in Naomi when she contends for Ruth's security and stability when she hatches this plan and sends her, him, her off to Boaz. Ruth contended for Naomi when she humbly went to Boaz to make a petition for marriage. If you look at it, Naomi's instructions to Ruth never tell her to propose marriage. Naomi tells her to lay down and then Boaz will tell her what to do. Ruth adds the cover over, throws in the marriage proposal. So, and Boaz contends for Ruth and Naomi together when he promises to take care of them one way or another, whether he, whether it's through getting this other kinsman redeemer to do it or whether it's doing it himself, one way or another, Boaz is going to make sure that they are taken care of. So what do they all have in common? Courage, humility, sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not going out to an unreached people where I might lose my life for sharing the gospel in the jungle. Um, so how can we, in our everyday lives, courageously contend for other? Well, let's first start with this definition of courage. Courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. We have an enemy. We have an enemy who is out to steal and kill and destroy. He would love nothing more than to keep us, to keep the ones we love, to keep our friends, our family, our neighbors, to keep anyone from making it to the feet of Jesus. So anytime we are praying, Anytime we are serving, anytime we are sharing scripture, anytime we're having a conversation about how our lives are different because of Jesus's work, anytime we're standing up for someone who's being treated unfairly, anytime we're seeking justice or peace or kindness in our dealing with others, anytime we are living humbly and sacrificially and we're pointing others to Jesus in a world that is screaming self-centered stories, you better believe we are taking courageous action to contend for those around us. But remember, we can't save. We are not the heroes of this story. Jesus is the hero of our story. And with his steadfast and unwavering, loyal love towards us sinners who can never save ourselves, he is the hero of our story. Jesus, who is the only perfect redeemer for us. And when we lean into that knowledge, when we lean into our understanding of his loving kindness um, towards us, then it leads us to confident submission and to courageous action. So let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for Jesus. We are grateful for his role as the hero in our story. Help us to lean into that, to submit ourselves to him, um, and then to be courageous agents of his loving kindness in this world to contend for others, um, to move towards others and show them the only hope and light and redemption that we have in your son. 
be with us as we go in our conversations today. Be honored and glorified because we love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.